So today we're, we're going to be looking at um, Walter Hilton and Marjorie Kemp. Um, and as these are the, the first two of the, of the group of English mystics we'll be looking at, I'll, I'll give a, a broader introduction to the English mystics and, um, and then look more specifically at these two writers. And then after the um, soup break, we'll, uh, we can I've photocopied some things so we can look at those and, and have a sort of sharing about about what they write. Um, the 14th century was a a time of of flourishing of um, the mystical tradition in England. It was um, a time when, when there was a great interest in the, in the solitary life. And there were many um, uh, hermits and uh, anchoresses and who were following the spiritual life at this time. It was <coughs> the, middle, the Middle Ages were the great sort of monastic centuries. And the monasteries were they sort of flourished in the 14th century with this um, hermit movement. And the most famous in England at that time, who's no longer that famous now, but um, is this man called Richard Roller. And he was a, a hermit living in the beginning of the 14th century and set, a, set the tone for the English mystical tradition. Um, he was a very individual person, quite a not following any set rule. He just followed his own sort of spiritual light, really. And he lived um, in in the forests and and tried to hide away from people. Um, but he wrote a book <coughs> called the, the Fire of Love, which became a very popular book in the beginning of the 14th century and he wrote about his experiences he was a sort of charismatic character and, and had many sort of ecstatic experiences but he was also deeply contemplative they would um, he would have these experiences but he would always point towards <coughs> silence and stillness and this was the an interior experience um, and everyone of the English mystics who came after Roller in some way were um, very influenced by him either for the positive or negative the other um, famous uh, book which is, was not famous at that time but is now much more <coughs> famous is the, the Cloud of Unknowing which we don't know who the author was um, and his, his book was uh, trying to correct this tendency towards enthusiasm or, or um, trying to get experiences which Roller was, the Roller's sort of um, influence was making people move towards. So the cloud of unknowing emphasized the, the fact that, um, that experiences of God are not the real thing. You have to uh, go to God sort of naked, he says, stripped of all experience. And this was the, the via negativa, or the apophatic tradition, to get, not to seek experiences, but to, to be, um, to enter into the darkness and the unknowing, and to find God in this, in this experience of, of love, Love was there in the cloud of unknowing, but not um, linked to any image and not linked to any particular experience we have ourselves. So, and then there was um, there was writer. Then we come to to the to our writers here, Walter Hilton. Now, Walter Hilton's was um, a probably a monastic writer. 
people think he was an Augustinian canon. He lived in um, Northamptonshire. And the only thing we have is a, is a, is a date of, of, of death at the end of in um, 1394 at, um, at an Augustinian priory. Um, and his, his main work was to bring together these two streams of, of English mysticism, the um, very personal, devotional, experiential, uh, sort of in, enthusiastic stream which came from Roller, and the, the apophatic um, the going to God beyond image and beyond thought, which was the cloud of unknowing. And the scale of perfection was written to sort of draw these two together. So there's, in the scale, there's a very strong inference on, on love and on Jesus. And yet, at this, which is the, the very focused on on the person of Jesus and yet at the same time it uses the image of well it uses the image of darkness and unknowing and not um, entering into the, the apophatic tradition now other writers like uh, the, the women writers and there were many women anchoresses at this time there was a rule the, um, the Ancran Rule, which was written for anchoresses who were leading a spiritual life. And the most famous of these was Julian of Norwich, who was writing at the end of the uh, 14th century, the same time as Hilton. And she likewise emphasised this, this love and these exper experiences she had. And then at the same time, she, she was deeply reflective on those experiences. So the theology of, of Julian was to, to show the experiences are not enough in themselves. You have to reflect on them and find the meaning, the meaning in the experience. And the meaning, as Julian says, is love. But it, it involves a sort of deepening away from experience. So she's... Um, Although she doesn't use the imagery of darkness and unknowing, she's likewise trying to combine these, these two tendencies of English mysticism. And then the, the last of them, coming right at the end, Untimely Born, is um, in some ways my favourite, Marjorie Kemp, who's... Um, Marjorie's book was totally unknown until... 1934. It was uh, the, she was known as a name because there, a few of her more devotional chapters were copied out by a scribe in the 14th century, and they were published as being written by Marjorie Kemper, a devout anchress. And this, um, so her name was known, but no one knew that she'd written a big book. And then suddenly, in 1934, in some library, some private library which used to be a monastic library, but it was hand, handed to a private family, this manuscript turned up, and, um, and the whole book of Marjorie Kemp um, became, became known. And it actually it turned out that she was far from being a, what we might call a, a devout anchress. <laughs> she was quite a different sort of character. And she had... Um, she she was married and she had 14 children and she spent most of her spiritual life travelling around she was, <coughs> went went on her own on pilgrimage to to um assisi and to rome and to jerusalem and to santiago and then finally at the age of 60 she went on pilgrimage to uh, Aachen, and um, and all these pilgrimages, she had a very it was a very tough time. So she was not a the classic sort of hermit or anchorist. She was on the move, and she was also her spirituality. It has a lot of the influence of 
role and these sort of experiences. She has all these visions and experiences. Um, and uh, she's very much within that, that sort of charismatic sort of stream of spirituality. And yet she was, she was not hiding away from the world. And there's, there's not uh, this sort of very strong world renunciatory thing that you get in Rollo. You don't get that in Marjorie Kemp. She's constantly engaged with the world, normally because of all the troubles she got into. <coughs> because um, she was, she had a tendency in, in her fervour to, to cry a lot. And not only to cry, but to weep and howl and, and get very, very emotional over her prayers. So she was, um, whenever she went into a church, she caused such a, such a sort of uproar that um, the, the communities she visited were very divided about her. Some wanted to get rid of her as soon as possible, <laughs> and others recognized her as a, a holy person. But she, she was quite an extraordinary character. And she was also, as part of no religious order, she would, no one, and there were very few single women pilgrims wandering around. No one knew quite what to make of her. So she was, um, she was often treated not so courteously. Um, and one of the things one has to remember, the, the, um, which is tied in a little bit with the, the English mystical movement, is that this, at the same time, there was a, a movement um, of to translate the Bible into English. Uh, Wycliffe was in the, in the middle of the 14th century. And this was fiercely, and the, the Lollard movement, and this was fiercely opposed by the church at that time um, because they were tending to use the Bible to say that the the sacraments and things weren't so important. And this this was happening at the, the same time and some of the later English mystics uh, were sort of trying to... Comp it, what, basically what happened was the, the Lollard movement used a lot of Richard Roller's stuff to as part of their cause. And um, they were... The, the mystical tradition was was um, people were were starting to regard it as unsafe to be involved in that. So the later well, work like um, Walter Hilton's Scale of Perfection, he's constantly trying to use the mystical tradition um, and that this of of um, uh, Richard Roller and also the apophatic tradition um, to, but using it in a way which would fit in with the church so his, a lot of his stuff is trying to show how this fits in with the sacramental life and um, life in, in community and things um, and poor Marjorie had, had similar problems she, wherever she went she was uh, accused of being a a Lollard and a heretic. <laughs> they wanted to burn her at various times. And she had to sort of say that she was she was orthodox, which she was. I mean, her her um, she has a sort of deep devotion for the for the the sacraments, and um, and whereas the earlier English mystics like um, Richard Roll, he would. There's no mention. There's no. His spirituality is not focused on, on Eucharist. It's not focused on any involvement in the church. He would go. Richard Roller in his Fire of Love says that he preferred not to go to church because the, the noise of people saying prayers disturbed his his inner song. He had this inner song going on with with God, and so he preferred not to go to church. And it was things like that which which the later English mystics would try to focus it back on a more of a, as part of the, the church. And also the, the, the cloud of unknowing is not a, a spirituality based around uh, the Eucharist or sacraments and things. So, but our two writers here, they're very, they are 
these are the more um, uh, orthodox of the of the English mystics. Although poor Marjorie <laughs> was constantly accused of not being orthodox. Um, was she quite well known in her time? She was Marjorie. Yes, these two. These two. Well, Rollo was the, was the most famous um, because his book was was base, a bestseller. Um, but these two. Marjorie as a, as a figure was quite well known because it, although she was forgotten about afterwards, but in the book they mentioned that she used to go to places and people would would see her and they just <laughs> they sort of she was the sort of lady who sort of when she got on the bus everyone was <laughs> around the mile she was kind of quite um, so she was she was known when she got into when she came to a church people would know her about her but I don't think she was very famous. I don't think so. She came from uh, Norfolk and she spent most of her time, well she did travel around England, but most of her time there. And the book, as I say, was totally unknown uh, until recently. What is the title? Uh, it's just the book of Marjorie Kemp. Oh. It's basically um, a sort of autobiography, mm-hmm. but a very spiritual sort of autobiography. She's recounting a lot of her experiences and... Um, and uh, the pilgrimages she goes on. We can look at it in, in a moment. The Hilton's book was was very, very popular book, and it was um, in the it was uh, republished sort of eight times just in the fifty years after his death. So it was a, it became a sort of classic, and uh, um, was was very popular right up to the Reformation. So it's printed rather than manuscript. Over to those. Uh, actually, I haven't about that. No, it would have been in the printing. Yes, I'm trying to remember when, when the. Um, <coughs> uh, yes, it was copied in Latin and English. So we have both Latin and English manuscripts, and then it was started printed in 1494. Was the first printed edition, and then there were eight editions by 1533. So it was basically it was a, a sort of um, what do you call it when every every household is <laughs> bestseller. Yeah. Where, or, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, now I say so that's just a, a basic sort of overview, and I think you're having talks on Julian and Cloud of Unknowing. Um, so that's the the context. Uh, so I'll just say a few words about about the books. Um, the the scale of perfection. We'll start with that one. This is re- is um, it's basically um, uh, a book which has a sort of um, pastoral importance. He's, he's he's written it to help people in the spiritual life. He does, doesn't talk about himself at all. It's not not autobiographical. He he plays. He doesn't talk about any of his own experiences. He's concerned about what people will encounter <coughs> on their in the spiritual life and how to help them. And he's he's um, it wasn't the only book he wrote. He wrote um, some short uh, treatises. One on the Song of Angels, which is a response to Richard Roller's this song of angels which he had in his heart he could well Richard Roller felt he could hear the angels singing in heaven and and also his heart was on fire with divine love and he could actually feel his heart on fire and um, all these sort of experiences um, which were sort of the language the metaphor between the, the sensual and the spiritual were very close so when, when Rollo talks about it it's, it's as if there is no division between the, the physical sense and the spiritual sense and Hilton's book the, the Song of Angels is just a short book but he says that we, the senses that he doesn't, he's not anti-Rollo he says that, that we should these experiences are good but we shouldn't necessarily look for them as the, the reason for the spiritual life he, he but also he says that 
the, our senses have to be spiritualized. We have to, uh, we have to um, later mystics sort of talked about the spiritual senses. I mean, but Hilton sort of does mention it that, we, that basically we have this, but it, they're not different from the physical senses in Hilton. But he says that the physical senses are spiritualized and then we're able to experience God through them. Um, so he he gives he, he gives a place for these experiences. Unlike when you you look later at the cloud of unknowing, and the cloud of unknowing has no time for its talk. <laughs> cloud of unknowing says it's all distraction. Um, but there's a moderation in, in Walter Hilton. He's he's trying to sort of be moderate, and, and the differences of personalities. For some people, it's important, and also. Um, is a Hilton wrote, he wrote a book called The Mixed Life where he talks about um, which was also a, a trying to get a moderate thing because they were, the, the English mystical movement was very orientated towards the hermit life to separate from the world Richard Roller was the most extreme <laughs> but they um, in The Mixed Life what Hilton, Hilton says is that it's quite possible to practice contemplation and yet be involved in your in your duties. Um, so that's but there's, these were short treatises. His main his main um, book is this one, the Scale of Perfection. And this is um, a sort of companion to the contemplative life. Um, it's but he's, he comes across in it as he's the archetypal sort of spiritual director, Hilton. He's kind of helping people. He says, "Now, if this problem comes, you kind of, this is his advice." And he's very in touch with, with the average person. He's not writing for a sort of spiritual elite. So he and he uses imagery and from ordinary life a lot. Um, and he's concerned with with the whole of the spiritual life, not just prayer, but he's concerned with the the moral one's moral life and the sacramental life and the ascetical life, and these are the, in some ways, these are what the ladder is. You you start with, um, a kind of, a grounding in this sort of moral, sac- the, the the importance of the sacraments. He stresses that because at that time there was a, the movement saying it wasn't they weren't important, and then but then on top of that is this mystical dimension, but you you ascend gradually, this sort of so everything's in place. And solid before you start the contemplation. Um, so, um, um, yeah. So, and basically, um, so that's the, the the form of this book. Um, I'm trying to sort of do them both together, just to try and run them together. Um, Marjorie's Marjorie's book um, is quite different. It, it, it's it's always talking. It's always the opposite. It's always talking about her experiences, <laughs> everything, and it's very personal, very individual. All her little encounters with people, um, but it's not what we'd um, nowadays call an autobiography. I mean, people say. That Marjorie, the, the the book of Marjorie Kemp is the first autobiography in the English language, and it is, if it's an autobiography. But in, I wouldn't call it an autobiography really, because she's not. The subject of the, of the book is is um, God really. It's not herself, although there's a lot of herself <laughs> in it. But it's she's anything. To, in she only relates aspects of her life which she feels are. In, are important for for the the story of her relationship with God. So there's no and there's no sort of chronology. No, she doesn't start the book at. She sort of sometimes talks about oh yes when I was younger, and then she just talks about when she's older. It kind of moves around a lot. Um, looking at ex, at sort of ex memories she's had, um, and she does she doesn't. Ex- <coughs> It's not um, 
very descriptive of the outer world. She talks about her pilgrimages and the, the two things she always writes about her experiences and the troubles she's had with other people. <laughs> How people, all her, all her, the fact that she was being, yes, that it's been difficult. Never blaming other people. Marjorie never has anything bad to say about anyone. Um, but she's, she's, um, trouble with it. She's, people have a lot of bad things to say about her. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's the, the difference of the books. Now, to give a, a flavour of how they, how they, um, run, Walter Hilton's, um, the scale of perfection starts um, with a kind of, with um, trying to well with, with this this idea of the ladder the scale and uh, the lower rungs of the scale are the sort of moral and ascetical life and you climb those and this is the foundation to the mystical life and then there's a, a gradual ascent through God's grace and our own effort, this sort of balancing of both, um, and then gradually we we move from um, from what do you call from from faith to feeling, from faith to feeling, and what he's saying is the contemplative life is the experiential knowledge of God. So as we move in, as we ascend the ladders, we move from from doing this out of faith to actually experiencing God. This is what feeling is. Feeling is a funny word, it's an old English word, but what he means is you're actually uh, in, in touch with God. Um, uh, now, but he gives, he does give a sort of a way to do this. And he's very, with, with, um, Hilton, he is very Christocentric, the person of Jesus. Everything starts, the, the, the journey, the whole journey is seeking Jesus. So he's very Christocentric compared with it, which he, but he manages to combine that with this apophatic, which is quite unique in some ways. So he says that you, you seek Jesus, you desire to be in Jesus' presence and you do but he says you do not rest in any feeling of that presence as though you had fully found him but you desire more as though what you had found was nothing so it's this desire so every every experience you have which is not bad in Hilton but basically you don't you don't um, rest in it as though you had fully arrived you always want more and this desire for Jesus is, is the fuel of, of this of the, the scale of perfection and then he says well where do you find Jesus and this is the the interiority of Hilton he says you always says you find Jesus in your own heart and he uses a lot of, he uses a lot of scriptural imagery especially the the parables. He says the parable of the the woman with a with a missing coin. He says basically um, you have to. Jesus is like the missing coin. You have to sweep the house, which is our own hearts, and seek for the, the missing coin. Um, and then a lot of the 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 um, um, so he says. Uh, you have lost Jesus, but where? Truly in your own house, that is in your own soul. There is no need to go to Rome or to Jerusalem to look for him. But turn your mind into your own soul where he is hid and seek him there. As the prophet says, truly, Lord, thou art a hidden God. So this turning inwards which again is a contrast with Marjorie. <laughs> Constantly on the move, seeking Jesus. I mean, it's a bit, bit in more outwardly. And then, then 
Hilton gives away, which is very close to meditation, really. He says, you must cease as far as may be for a time from all bodily works, from all external occupation. Then you must recollect your thought and withdraw it from the bodily senses so that you may pay no attention to what you hear, see or feel. Your heart must not be fixed on these things. And after this, empty your mind as far as you can of all images of material things and remembrance of past actions. This requires little efforts when you feel devotion, but you must do it when you feel no devotion, for then it is very much harder. And make this your whole purpose, as if you would neither seek nor feel nor find anything except the grace and spiritual presence of Jesus. This is laborious, for useless thoughts will press on you and draw your mind down to them. I think that a lot of this we can relate to in meditation. And he, he ties this, this seeking of Jesus, this very Christocentric thing, to the apophatic. Um, this going beyond image. He goes on, Withdraw your thoughts from all material things, and you will find nothing in which your soul may rest. This nothing is a darkness of mind. A lack of love and light, as sin is nothing but a lack of God. Yet this is, I think with, with Hilton, I'm, I'm just trying to... There's two, the, he talks about, which later on is much more clearly explained in, in, by John of the Cross, the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the spirit. And um, Hilton uses this image of darkness very, very much and uses it in two ways, and it's sometimes a bit confusing. He's, he said at one stage, and it's the more elementary stage, is that we enter into this darkness is because we're seeking Jesus and we can't find him. And that darkness is is the sign of um, of our, our the, the the distance we are from God, and so in some ways it's a negative, it's a negative, it's a negative darkness. He says if we were close to God, we would find Jesus straight away. So, but it's necessary to go into this darkness because he says you won't find anywhere Jesus anywhere else. Um, because we are not yet reformed in feeling, when our soul withdraws from all bodily things and finds nothing but a darkness and heaviness, it seems a hundred years until it can be out again by some bodily pleasure or vain thought. And no wonder, for who would not run out of their house if they came home and found nothing but a smoking fire and a scolding wife, dash husband? <laughs> So your soul, when it finds no comfort in you, but only the black smoke of spiritual blindness and the reproaches of worldly thoughts whose crying takes away all peace, is indeed discontented till it can get out again. This is the darkness of mind. Nevertheless, you must labour in this darkness of mind. That that is, that is, you must withdraw your thoughts from all material things as far as possible. And then when you find nothing but sorrow and pain and blindness in this darkness, you must put up with this and endure it for a time, if you will find Jesus. And there you must be careful to take the thought of Jesus Christ. You must not fix your thought on this nothing, but on Jesus Christ whom you desire as if you would overcome this nothingness and pass through it. So, Jesus lies hidden in this darkness, but you, you've got to go through it. This is the dark night of the senses. It's basically uh, very uncomfortable to us. And um, we, we um, 
but we, we have to go through it. Um, but then there's the other, the, the other darkness, which he talks about later, later on. Um, he says, this, this night, this is the night of the senses. He's saying that once, once you, that darkness which you're experiencing there is your own self, separated from God. And you go through that and you find a God there by keeping the, the mind on Jesus. Um, and the, it can be just the simple thought of Jesus, which could be a, a mantra like the name Jesus. Um, that would be the simple, what he means by the simple thought. Um, but once you come through that, you find that there's, um, there's a, another darkness, which is the darkness of, of, of God. He says you go through the humanity of Jesus into the divinity. And, and by staying with the humanity, the simple thought of Jesus, you're led into the, the darkness of God, which is the, the spiritual night. Um, Yes, he talks here about um, the fruitful darkness. Um, but be sure of this, when you would desire and think of nothing but Jesus and find this impossible because worldly thoughts press in on you, you have already got out of the false day and are entering into the darkness. But this darkness is not peaceful because you are not accustomed to it. And so give yourself to it often, and it will, by custom, and by the grace of God become easier and more peaceful. That is, your soul, by grace, will become so unimpeded and strong, so recollected, that it will find no attraction in earthly thoughts, and nothing will prevent it from thinking of nothing. <laughs> then it is in, this, in a fruitful darkness, and a fruitful nothing, because it is no longer troubled by the thought of earthly things, but all its thought is for Jesus. Yeah. So accustom yourself to dwell in this darkness, strive to become familiar with it, and you will quickly find peace, and the true light of spiritual understanding will flood your soul. No, I'm just skipping ahead. Um, so, this, so that's the other one. Other theme in Hilton before we move over to Marjorie is this sense of where, this sense of interiority. The whole of the spiritual life is going on in your soul, and I think this is is something he directs our attention to. That um. He says that all the progress up the ladder is um, basically comes through through grace, not through our own will. So it's not willpower which gets us there; it's through grace. But he says that there is one activity which is of great value. Um, this grace theme, which is very strong in Hilton. And it may be because he's a, um, he probably was an Augustinian canon, and he had this very strong emphasis on, on the givenness of the spiritual life. That there's nothing we can achieve; it's it's all a gift. Um, but it's something which the only time uh, John Maine, who's our teacher of meditation, here talks about Walter Hilton, he always quotes this this um, uh, line from the from the scale where he says that in contemplation you do nothing except allow God to work in your soul. So it's this doing of nothing to put except allowing God to work in your soul. But Hilton does say that there is one activity which is of great value and as I th think a highway to contemplation insofar as any human endeavour may be. It is for a man or woman 
to enter into themselves and come to the knowledge of their soul and its powers, its beauty, its blemishes. So this discovery of the of the self um, is the is the is the the key to the the spiritual life to discover your own soul and in that to to labour within that. So a soul which wishes to come to the knowledge of spiritual things must first know itself, for it can it cannot know a higher nature unless it first knows its own. It does this when it is so recollected and detached from consideration of earthly things and from use of the senses that it knows itself as it is in its own nature. And then just like um, Augustine, he, he says you return to yourself as a stepping stone to God except that the image Hilton uses is the mirror that basically you come back to yourself and through this 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 darkness of coming back and finding nothing there but the, gradually if you persevere with that it's like cleansing the mirror of the soul and then you, by being aware of your soul and its powers you become aware of the, the light which is shining into the soul so um, it's a mirror in which we see God. That's what the soul is. But I do not say that your sh soul should remain satisfied with this knowledge of itself. But through this it should seek a higher knowledge of something above itself, and that is the nature of God. For your soul is a spiritual mirror in which you may see God. So, in the first place, you must discover your mirror, and keep it bright and clean, and hold it well up from the earth, so that you may be able to see it, and also our Lord reflected in it. Anyway, one could go on with Hilton. There's so much, actually, in Hilton. It's amazing. There's so much. He talked because he's a sort of spiritual director, and he has something to say about everything in the spiritual life. There's, you could follow it in, in many different ways and find what speaks to you. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. But just for the, before lunch, I wanted to, supper, I wanted to say a little bit about um, Marjorie's book, um, which is, is very different. <laughs> Marjorie starts with, with telling her story, her life story. And she was, um, she starts with the experience of giving birth to a child, her first child. And this was the beginning of her spiritual journey. She had a, a sort of... Well, in the book she says she went mad. <laughs> but it, reflecting on it, you can see that she... It was an experience of, of wonder, really. That, that this, this experience of giving birth, some people say, <laughs> that's what it is, it, is, it just blew her mind really, and she, she um, realised that everything that she sort of known before was, was, was um, no longer could cope with this experience. So she, she went into a sort of crisis and a, a sort of breakdown and she was saved, she felt she, felt she was saved from this by a vision of, of Jesus, that Jesus came and that was the first time she wasn't a religious person before that um, but this vision of Jesus came and then she was restored to her right mind and um, was but anyway then she this was her first sort of spiritual encounter the next thing is she, she still wasn't particularly very spiritual because she set up a, a brewery business in Lynn and decided to, to make some money she, she'd been married she got married very young at 20 to her uh, Burgess of Lynn, but she he was for some reason not making the, making the family money, so she set up her own business brewing beer. But anyway, after three years of running this business, it it wasn't working, and she felt 
that God was making it not work, so that she turned to him. So she had this second crisis, which was basically that, that everything she tried to do wasn't working. So then, then she turned to God, and this was the time she, she felt that she was fully converted to, to God. And um, then she talks about her the, the difficulty she had mainly <laughs> she felt very much that this, with the second conversion um, that she should uh, live chastely and you can imagine after 14 children this <laughs> probably there are other reasons <laughs> for it as well <laughs> but she felt God really wanted her to, to live like a nun and um, and she had to persuade her, her poor husband of this, who wasn't, wasn't so happy. Although, I mean. So, but anyway, she, and she, asked, um, uh, she asked God to, to lend a hand in this. And, and <laughs> God somehow intervened in such a way that the, the, the husband was, whenever he tried to, whenever he felt this sort of lively, <laughs> he would be so frightened because something to something about the experience would make him so frightened. So God sort of terrified him so that he got nervous. But then finally, the, 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 she re- relates how, how she made, made a deal with him, that she'd pay off his debts if um, she was allowed to live this chaste life. So they, they came to an arrangement. But there's a number of chapters which go on about this, this how she came to this. Um, Mm. Black, blackmail, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then she, the next, well, she talks the next. Um, they're quite amusing those chapters because, and then she talks about temptation. She had she's very human, and she had the, after this, straight after this, persuading of her husband to to live chastely. She has this big um, temptation um, to run off with some other man. <laughs> <laughs> which puts very, um, in the second year of her temptations it so happened that a man whom she liked said to her on St. Margaret's Eve before Evensong that for anything he would sleep with her and enjoy the lust of his body and that she should not withstand him for if he might not have his desire that time he said he would have it another time instead she should not choose and he did it to test what she would do. But she imagined that he meant it in earnest and said very little in reply. So they parted then and both went to hear Evensong. (laughs) (laughs) For her church was dedicated to St. Margaret. The woman was so troubled with the man's words that she could not listen to Evensong, nor say her paternoster, nor think any other good thought, but was more troubled than she ever was before. The devil put it into her mind that God had forsaken her, or else she would not be so tempted. She believed the devil's persuasions and began to consent because she... You see, I just point out that it's all written in the third person. Um, so she, um, because she could not think any good thought, therefore she believed that God had forsaken her. And when even song was over, she went to the said man in order that he should have his will of her as she believed he desired. But he put forward such a pretense that she could not understand his intent, and so they parted for that night. The creature was so troubled... The creature... She calls herself the creature. (laughs) The creature was so troubled and vexed all that night that she did not know what she could do. She lay beside her husband, and to have intercourse with him was so abominable to her that she could not bear it, and yet it was permissible for her. But all the time she was tormented to sin with the other man because he had spoken to her. At last, through the importunings of temptation and a lack of discretion, she was overcome and consented in her mind and went to the man to know if he would then consent to have her. And he said he would not for all the wealth in this world. (laughs) He would rather be chopped up as small as meat for the pot. <laughs> yeah. <a> bit Marjorie, <laughs> which is very human and just tells the tells the the truth of all the difficulties she had and, and things. But one of the things, um, 
why it's written in the third person is that Marjorie, although she was middle class, she couldn't um, read or write. She, and the book was dictated to a scribe. So that's why it's written in the, the third person. And the form of the English, it's basically very conversational because she remembers, she remembers conversations remarkably and she can relate them, but it's, um, her memory must have been amazing because she couldn't write anything down. And she remembers scripture passages and she remembers later on after that encounter because she couldn't read and write and she wasn't learned. She was very unconfident in the spiritual life and she went to travelled around to visit all these people who she felt could confirm her in her path and, and also to give her direction. And so she went to visit all these learned people and <coughs> one of the people she visited was, was Julian of Norwich in in her cell in Norwich and she spent some days with Julian just talking about this calling she felt and um, she relates the whole um, conversation with Julian uh, in there and once she got the um, felt that she was confident enough spiritually and she'd had all this spiritual direction she felt called to be a pilgrim and this in the 14th century was a time of of, of pilgrimages, this is the time um, Chaucer wrote the, the Canterbury Tales and things. It was, it was um, the time a lot of people were going on pilgrimages, but Marjorie wasn't satisfied with Canterbury. <laughs> she wanted to first was to Rome um, and to CC, and that, she she did that on all on her own, remarkably. And then she came back from that, and then she felt no, that wasn't good enough. So it was Jerusalem next. So she went all the way on her own to Jerusalem. And um, she relates all the, the, um, tale, all the travels she had. Normally the great experiences, she, was, she loved relics. She loved relics. She would go to these places and find this, the, the relic of the True Cross or Our Lady's Handkerchief or something in, which was hidden away. And the moment she'd see it, she'd be sort of howling with... She had this very strong devotion to the to the humanity of Jesus, and to something which connect she felt connected her to the to the real humanity of Jesus was uh, sort of set her off on on uh, very emotional kind of devotions. So a large part of the book talks about her pilgrimages, um, and then. A part, large part of it also are conversations she has with God. It's like there's this now there's a, there's a famous book, isn't there, written this um, conversations with God by by um anyway, but yeah, and anyway, Marjorie was was having them, and she has these relates these long conversations with God. No, which are quite very touching, very touching. But you kind of, you can sort of feel, oh, this is a bit in her imagination. Well, I don't know. But God sort of is sort of, he's just consoling her. It's a bit like Julian's, the message is the consolation. Because she's very worried that she's doing everything wrong. And, and she's very dependent on her spiritual directors. And then when she goes traveling, she doesn't have the spiritual director. So she's, God sort of, directs and tells her what to do and this sort of stuff and um, she matured so much at the end of her life her last pilgrimage which was basically her son one of her sons who she was very close to uh, died um, and she was close to him because he was spiritual <laughs> that's the feeling you get anyway he was he died and he was his wife her daughter his her daughter-in-law needed to go back to Germany where she'd come from to her family so Marjorie agreed to well agreed to escort her to Ipswich where she'd get the boat to to, to Germany um, but anyway on, when she got to Ipswich she got this, God was telling her to go with her to Germany so she went and she was 60 then which for a medieval lady was was very elderly she went with the daughter-in-law to Germany and she went yeah, well, exactly. This is it. This is the last bit of the book because the daughter-in-law was so um, 
didn't want her when they got to Germany the daughter-in-law disappeared because she didn't want her mother-in-law to meet the family she was an extraordinary lady Marjorie so, so basically Marjorie then had no money and no one to look after and had to walk back but she went to Ark and there's some some um, relic there she wanted to see so but all that she did and she's very worried all the time because she left without telling her spiritual director or asking his permission so she's very worried and God kept saying it's okay, it's okay, you're doing the right thing and then when she comes back the spiritual director's furious and everyone in the room has got round that she's, she's acted without sort of uh, without sort of authority so she's in disgrace when she returns and God has to justify her to, in everyone's eyes so yeah. No, it doesn't. Not much. Yeah, not much. Although <laughs> the conversion, I mean, the children probably would have been. Uh, As they all live. Well, that, the the husband was was always around. She looked after him in his his in his old age, um, and she the husband every now and then crops up to try and get her out of trouble because <laughs> she's she's kind of been dragged in front of the authorities for being a potential heretic and they, they have to rally, rally the troops in Lynn and her supporters go out to try and, try and <laughs> save her. So that, but the children don't have a big role in, the, in, the, in her book. She must have been quite a wealthy woman for all this trouble. Do, yes, yes. Someone to look after the children. Yes, I think so. You must, you must have had something, although she runs out of money a lot. <laughs> and she has awful trouble because she can't r- read and then she can't speak any foreign languages and it's kind of like there's a lot of difficulty with her, with her travels but she's but at the same time they're very profound the um some parts i mean they're, they're very profound meditations she has and the, the, after the soup we'll look at a passage from from Hilton and a passage from from Marjorie and, and sort of see the, the the quality of their writing and um, the, uh, the, the they are both sort of teachers of contemplation in their different ways um, and I'm always a, a big defender of, of Marjorie because she tends to get a like a, same when she was alive people speak badly of her and now the scholars at the university speak about oh she's this sort of it was compared to Junian as a kind of Marjorie wasn't was not a real contemplative and kind of, but I think she was. I think she was a she was a, um, amazingly brave person, amazingly brave, and and a very very human person, very human. Um, so I just before we go, I just wanted to read a few little things. Mar- Marjorie's. Because she's very, she remembers conversations. She's a, she's the master at the the um, um, clever clever answer. Um, because the people criticise her mainly because of her her weeping and wailing. I mean, she really wailed. <laughs> used to howl and scream. <laughs> There's a woman. This is some priest asked her, um, "Why are you weeping?" So she's weeping over a crucifix. Woman, why are you weeping so much? Jesus is long since dead. <laughs> Sir, his, his death is as fresh to me as if he, he had died this same day. And so I think it ought to be to you and to all Christian people. And then she, she loves talking, telling people about the joys of heaven. And her neighbours say, why do you talk so much of the joy of heaven? You haven't been there any more than any of we have. <laughs> and then one, one priest who's trying to help her, because she has such trouble, says, Woman, give up this life that you lead and go and spin and card wool as other women do. <laughs> and do not suffer so much shame and so much unhappiness. She says, I do not suffer as much sorrow as I would do for our Lord's love, for I only suffer cutting words. And our merciful Lord Jesus Christ suffered hard strokes, bitter scourgings, and shameful death at the last. She is sort of fool for 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting what 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 they say is very much like the Jewish people that Jesus God says to her in the car, those who bless you will be, I will bless. Just like the, the, the sort of message of the Jewish people. Um and and so those she's like wherever she goes there's this division between those who are attacking her and those who are helping her. A bit like so yeah. What was the order, the date order? Um, we've got Platinum Lane, Julian Norwich, and these two. Yeah. Now, now wh- wh- which is feeding off which? Well, the, the, the Roller is, is the earliest. Right. Platinum and Knowing is, is in some ways a response to Roller. And, yeah. and but I mean, so the, is there evidence that the Platinum and Knowing would have read, uh, that the author would have known Roller? Oh, yes. Right. All these would have, would have known Roller. He, he was a household sort of on everyone's yeah. bookshelf. So they all would have known Roller. Um, Hilton, whether he would have known the Cloud of Unknowing, they were sort of roughly the same time, but this writings of Dionysius, the Oropagite, were coming in at that time. So there was this revival of interest in the apophatic. But would Roller have known the Cloud of Unknowing? No, no. That's interesting because he, what you say, there's quite a lot of of sort of John the Crossy sort of stuff in it. Yeah, um, in Hilton, there is. You, you think of John the Cross and Pseudo-Dionysius, there's a lot of parallel to the Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's sort of, you get these sort of streams in them, and mm. in, them in the mystical tradition that sort of feed into each other, yeah. But they yeah. certainly, and, and Marjorie knew, she talks about we Re- not reading, having read to her, um, Roller and Hilton, oh, and and having visited Julian. Yeah, yeah. Um, she doesn't mention the cloud. And the cloud unknowing wasn't a popular book. Now it's popular, <coughs> but it wasn't in those days. 